worship service on a Sunday afternoon in June kicked off Tallahassee's second annual Soul of the Southside Festival. And co-organizer Karen Gillespie, she made sure to represent her Southside I'm roots. I'm Southside born, I'm Southside bred, and Lord willing, yeah. I'll be here after the festival kickoff, Gillespie explained why a church was the perfect place for the arts and cultural festival to get underway. It's been our education place. It's been our political movement place. It's been our family gathering place. It's been places where we go to celebrate the home going of our families. So that church is just the heart of who we are because that could that was the only place we could meet and be who we are and so the church has been is is the focus of our community the black church has historically served as a refuge for black americans living in a racially oppressive society and it's been a safe haven for centuries says local singer anita franklin and so the church is what kept us it's that corporate gathering that you come together and sing songs of Zion. But it's also, it's to edify, not only to give praise to God, but we edify one another because it's those trying times that the community, black community, has experienced those times of racism. During a televised interview on NBC's Meet the Press in 1960, Martin Luther King Jr. said, quote, I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour, in Christian America. That statement is challenging the sort of American Christian churches to live up to those central precepts or those central ideas of Christianity, maybe through the moral, exemplary life of Jesus the Christ. Jamil Drake was a professor of religion at Florida State University and is now a faculty member of the Divinity School at Yale University. In some ways, race or whiteness still governs how people orient themselves religiously. As I walk along this way, More than 60 years after King called for church integration, black and white churchgoers still worship separately. A LifeWay research survey of pastors taken in 2021 shows 76% of church congregations have one dominant racial group. Some African Americans are leaving black churches but other racial groups aren't joining predominantly black churches at the same rate. Historically black-led churches are also facing another challenge, the departure of younger adults, especially millennials and Gen Zers. I'm your host, Valerie Crowder, and this is Not So Black and White, a community's divided history. Brought to you by WFSU Public Media. See my way. Be 
the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows the When we think about the praise houses, you know, that were created during the antebellum period, these are these like small wooden like clapboard structures that the slaves actually used to kind of create religion and in particular Christianity on their own terms. Sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down. Those praise houses would eventually birth the black church. Drake has written about the function of praise houses in his recently published book, To Know the Soul of a People, Religion, Race, and the Making of Southern Folk. The praise houses, they actually served as sites where African Americans created sort of black religion and black Christianity through various rituals, through various practices, through various sort of vernacular culture. So for instance, what we get in the praise houses, right? On one level, we get the kind of chanted sermons, like a worship service. We get various rituals, like the ring shout, our shouting, or we get in some ways the uh, singing, the atonal, polyrhythmic kind of singing. Drake explains the praise houses and hush harbors and secret worship gatherings of enslaved people blended African cultures with Christianity. The significance of these praise houses basically reside in the fact that African Americans are, we should say, the enslaved. They get to practice religion apart from the surveillance of white owners and overseers. Black churches maintained their independence in a society that has a long history of oppressing African Americans. In the post-antebellum period throughout the 20th century, praise houses served as centers for social life. They also served as courthouses, right, where community members would come together and they would in some ways enforce the law, particularly on those community members who actually violated the law or violated some code such as harming their fellow community member. During the Jim Crow era, the churches functioned as what sociologist Franklin Frazier called, quote, a nation within a nation. Drake explains what this means. In other words, they're operating like the state because African Americans cannot depend on the state during segregation because the state doesn't have their best interest in mind. That's why black churches were not only sites of worship and spirituality, but places where African Americans could get basic services they couldn't receive elsewhere, like child care, education, settlement houses for the poor, and health clinics. This is the black church Karen Gillespie grew up in. And the minister, Reverend Ned Sanders, and his wife, we lived in the same community. So they took care of us children. The church, again, took care of our children, the youth. So that's what that was all about. But, um, uh, and, and he was our pastor who married my husband and I, and we've been married for 49 years now. That must have been, yeah. So that's why Jacob Chapel means a lot to me because of those leaders 
back then who nurtured us as youth and uh, it's so important that we have our churches because that, that too is what they do. They nurture our youth. Why was the church, in your opinion, a focal point for activity during the desegregation struggle? Why was the church so involved in, in that movement? I believe uh, the uh, church has historically represented in the black community more facets of community life than any other organization. That's Dr. James Hudson, the chaplain at Florida A&M University at the time. He spoke with WFSU in 1980. Hudson worked with Bethel Missionary Baptist Church's Reverend C.K. Steele to rally the black community to the boycott cause. In a 1979 interview with WFSU, Steele talked about leading Bethel during the Tallahassee bus boycott. We called a meeting of leaders. We appointed a committee to go see the city manager and the manager of the bus company to see if we could get some understanding, which we did not get. We reported to a mass meeting that night, at which time they voted to come off the buses, which demanded some kind of organization. Uh, NAACP had been banded in Alabama, and we were afraid they would do the same thing in Florida. So they decided to organize a new organization called the Inter-Civic Council, and I was elected as its first president. Steele says it wouldn't have happened without the leadership of local FAMU students who were inspired by the boycotts in Montgomery, Alabama. One of Steele's sons, Henry Marion Steele, was a boy when the meeting happened in 1955. The church was packed, no parking spaces on the lot or around the block or anywhere. Cars were everywhere. In a 2013 interview with WFSU, the younger Steele described what it was like being there. And um, people almost uh, hanging out the windows, so to speak. Though the Tallahassee bus boycott received less attention than other desegregation protests, it played a significant role in influencing the very early stages of the broader civil rights movement. And at the forefront of that protest was the church. The only institution over which African Americans had total control was the church, okay? And so African American ministers had an autonomy that other folk did not have. Black religious leaders' involvement in the fight for racial justice was widespread, says Florida-based historian Gregory Padgett. Martin Luther King was an exceptional African American religious leader but he was not unusual. There were a lot of them. Padgett is a historian at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg. He earned a Ph.D. in history at Florida State University, and while at FSU, he attended Bethel Missionary Baptist Church. Reverend C.K. Steele was his pastor. Um, There was the talk of the tripartite, the three kind of legged forms of oppression, economic, personal, uh, and political. And... Because they did not uh, look to outside forces for their income, African-American ministers were sort of immune from that. That economic independence, coupled with its unique founding, would enable the black church to provide an anchor to the civil rights movement. The church's function as, in some ways, holding elected officials, holding people in power, 
holding America accountable and challenging America to live up to what it means to be a sort of a democratic nation. That's Drake. They provide spaces where people who have been degraded, or as Toni Morrison says, right, people who have been dirtied, where they can affirm themselves, where they can affirm their humanity. That's a very revolutionary idea, particularly when you're in a context where black people are called everything but human. So here we, we can go to a space where we're being taught that we're somebody. We can go to a space where we're taught that we're God's children. Today, a new movement has emerged, one that has taken aspects of the civil rights movement and is pushing it beyond race and away from the church. I'd love to see what he, he would do with the Black Lives Matter, which for some of us older folk, um, we sort of scratch our heads because it's not the context that we were accustomed to or the civil rights movement in the way we learned to recognize it. Listen, enough is enough. Black lives do matter. Alright? We don't need to be another hashtag. Tired of singing that. I don't need to get on the radio. Ten years ago, a 17-year-old black teen was shot and killed in a Sanford, Florida neighborhood. He'd been followed home by a self-appointed neighborhood watchman, suspicious about why Trayvon Martin would be walking down the street. I dare you to say black lives matter. When George Zimmerman was found not guilty of murder, protests across the country broke out. The hashtag Black Lives Matter would become an anthem eight years later when George Floyd was murdered by a police officer, setting fire to long-simmering racial and social fault lines. George Floyd, while at the grocery store, Tamir Rice, while playing at the park. But this time, unlike the civil rights movement, the protest had new faces. A broad and multiracial coalition of young people, women, LGBTQ, black, white, brown, all protesting and marching and calling to the social inequities that go beyond race. The black church, accustomed to taking leadership, found itself playing catch-up. Paget cites Robert Brisbane, who captured the cyclical nature of racial justice movements in his book, Black Activism. I'm sorry, I don't think Brisbane is still alive. I'd love to see what he, he would do with the Black Lives Matter, which for some of us older folk, um, you know, we sort of scratch our heads because it's not the context that we were accustomed to or the civil rights movement in the way we learned to recognize it. Leadership up until the 1980s for that kind of activity in African-American communities always came from the church. And the reason why it did was segregation. 
and community leadership, by and large, came from pastors. For those of us who were not turning to crime or something else, those were our role models. That was the man we wanted to be. So that's the role of the church for my generation. But it has become more secular, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I'm a real believer that every generation has to first identify the social problem that's most prominent for it, and then address it. When Leon Sheriff Walt McNeil rolled out his all-in initiative several years ago, he emphasized partnerships with black churches as a cornerstone of his effort to reduce gun violence in the county. Most of the victims and perpetrators are young black men and boys. Now, McNeil has de-emphasized that part of his plan, and he's blunt about why. Just being frank about it, I don't believe in doing the same thing over and over. And the church angle has been used for the last 40 years Mm -hmm. with little to no success. So I'm not focused so much on the church as it relates to the council and the status of men and boys. I do believe there are places where the church has a significant role to play. The influence of the black church is declining. Nearly half of African-American millennials and Gen Zers seldom or never attend church. That's from a Pew study on faith and religion among black Americans taken in 2021. That's similar to other people of different races. They view Christianity as a white supremacist institution. And it was the same similar views that young black activists had in the 1960s when they looked at the black church and they said, this is an Uncle Tom institution. It is not serving the interests of black people. And so, so many young people during the 60s moved away from the church because they didn't see it working in the interests of black people. University of Houston Religious Studies professor Aswad Walker attempted to explain the decline. He says one reason for it is the church's emphasis on tradition instead of progress. We do this today because we've always done it this way. And that's an issue for for young folk who are always pushing the boundaries. Uh, The other issue is a lot of black churches, not all, but a lot, um, have stances on women and stances on LGBTQ issues that do not coincide with where young people are today. If we, if, if Christians can preach that God makes us perfect, God knew us before, my name is Jeremiah and I believe in the book of Jeremiah, it says that God knew us before before we came here, before our mother knew us, or some, some along the lines of those things. What I got to pretend or box myself in a box for if this is how I'm supposed to be? And what y'all got to say about it? They ain't none of my business. <laughs> it really isn't. So that's how I feel about all of that. 29-year-old Jeremiah House met with me at Square Mug Cafe at Railroad Square Art District. We sat outside, facing the railroad tracks dividing the city. Like House, people who've left the church are finding community elsewhere. House identifies as queer. He grew up in rural Liberty County, and attended a local missionary Baptist church throughout his childhood. 
In high school, he moved to Orlando with his aunt and uncle and attended church more frequently. I knew that church wasn't going to be a thing for me anymore at the age of 17 because me being able to hear the things that I was able to hear, hearing the, the hatred and the fear that was being taught and put on people, I just knew that wasn't the guy that I served. House says he didn't feel welcome at church as a member of the LGBTQ community. So he left the church, but he says he still believes in God. Something here ain't making no sense, so I can't. And if it ain't making sense, I'm not going to try to add it up. So y'all can, can keep all of that over there. But I'm going to take what I need. I'm going to take the meat and y'all can have the potatoes type shit. I don't eat meat now, but. <laughs> what are the potatoes? <laughs> the potatoes are like the opinions and the the fear and the forcefulness and the it has to be this way the perspective of it all um or the their truths of it all everybody doesn't have the same truth we can all see the same thing and it will not look the same we can all taste the same thing and have different experiences my truth is not your truth i'm okay with our truths not being the same it has nothing to do with you. So and this has nothing to do with you. What you what you have has nothing to do with me. So take all of the other stuff who I can be and can't be in. House practices different forms of spirituality now, including ancestor veneration, divination, traditional medicines for healing and folk practices. He describes himself as intuitive. We are in the south, uh, the rural south, the Bible Belt. Um there have been a lot of souls that have transitioned here in very negative ways, maybe ways that weren't unjust. Um, there have been fights for liberation here, uh, fights for freedom here. Um, so yeah, there's just, where there's darkness, there must be light and vice versa. So um, Tallahassee is a very beautiful place, but the history here, uh, if you know your history, I feel like you can't help but to feel a little eerie in certain places. For decades, Tallahassee's Bethel Missionary Baptist Church has been at the center of the fight for social justice. Today, the historic church continues to serve as a gathering spot for elected officials, community leaders, and clergy members to discuss issues like voting rights, gun violence, and criminal justice reform. Today, we call on the Senate to stop filibustering around and pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Amendment. Orlando-based pastor Marcus McCoy echoed sentiments held by those fighting for racial progress at a voting rights rally at the church in September of 2021. Today, we call on our own state legislators to share how they are going to ensure that our upcoming redistricting process is conducted fairly and invites the voices of the people around our state to be heard. McCoy also called on state lawmakers to be fair in the redistricting process. Governor Ron DeSantis would later go on to eliminate two black-controlled districts, including the seat held by Democratic Congressman Al Lawson. Today we call on the over 14 million registered voters in the state of Florida to get out and vote in every election. 
Today we move from apathy to accountability, from complacency to tenacity, from we can't to we will. About 300 people from local congregations packed the pews at the Old West Primitive Baptist Church's Enrichment Center in Tallahassee this spring. Their goal? Persuade local officials to fund efforts to reduce gun violence and increase affordable housing stock. Ministers from more than a dozen local congregations spoke during the program, including Rabbi Michael Shields, who's also co-president of the Capital Area Justice Ministry. But you know what? We're like the tribes of Israel. We're all a little bit different, but we're all justice people. One people united in justice. And tonight is the culmination. Reverend James Houston is a minister at Bethelonia AME Church in Tallahassee. He's the other co-leader of the Capital Area Justice Ministry. We, we have meetings uh, within our communities and within our churches, and we... The, the, the major issues that, that came up after we've done all of the house, house meetings was gun violence and uh, affordable housing. And the gun violence, because we all know people who've been affected by the gun violence. So it's very important that we keep our kids alive and we keep them out of jail if we can. Houston spoke with WFSU after the Justice Ministry's call to action event in April Several city leaders were asked on stage whether they'd support more funding for gun violence reduction and affordable housing. We got a lot, a lot of wins. We got wins on, uh, um, on the criminal justice side, but we didn't get all that we needed uh, from the housing. But I'm still encouraged that things are going to get better. Though the crowd at that meeting was diverse, 60 years after Martin Luther King Jr. issued his call for religious integration, black and white people still tend to worship separately on Sunday mornings, a fact noted by Pastor Derek McGee of Tallahassee's Bible-based church after he stepped up to the podium. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said the most segregated hour of the week is 11 o'clock a.m. on a Sunday morning because we all disperse. I'll work with you, but I won't worship with you. But you cannot see justice come to pass if we do not discontinue looking at each other in a different manner. When King made his speech about the most segregated hour in America, he also talked about how the black church was open to inclusion, but other churches, specifically white ones at the time, were not. Today, political hopefuls still flock to black churches, a recognition of their power and influence in black communities. Yale University's Jamil Drake notes these same churches were at the forefront of vaccination efforts against COVID-19 and combating misinformation by spreading the word to the very people most at risk of dying from the virus. If we think about black churches here in Tallahassee, there, you know, when we think about the pandemic and vac vaccines, they're not just serving black people are their congregants. They're also serving uh, non-black people too as well. And I think that's a very important point, you know, in terms of 
a vibrant prophetic and democratic tradition coming out of the black church, where it's not only serving the needs of its congregants, but also the broader community, even people who do not look like them. Local gospel music singer Anita Franklin grew up in the Greater Love Church of God in Christ on Orange Avenue on Tallahassee Southside. That's the church her mother founded when she was a girl. Franklin, who turned 60 this month, explains how music, particularly gospel music, has brought joy to black people in America in times of immense hardship. Of, of our ancestors who have suffered and have died and have been abused, but they had that spiritual part that kept them just the embracing who God is to keep them strong through those times of um, going through uh, just torture, just going through um, lynchings, just going through families being broke apart. Precious Lord, take my hand. See, you're getting this started. And even while the data may say one thing about the black church, even Sheriff McNeil, who's continuing his effort to rescue black men and boys, still recognizes its work. The religious component is there, but but again, I, I believe it, it's applicable where it's like faith. If you don't seek it, 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 it has no value. After all, black people continue to do way more with way less. I'm your host, Valerie Crowder, and this is Not So Black and White, A Community's Divided History by WFSU Public Media. I need you to show me which way to